Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. So a couple years ago, on my dad's birthday, we ended up at one of these restaurants where they come out to sing to you as a group as part of the birthday celebration. And if you're a server who does that, man, we appreciate you. Some of you guys are just awesome at that, how excited you get. But on this particular night... These servers were not into it, especially the the young lady who was waiting on us. And we kept saying, look, it's my dad's birthday. Do you guys do any silly songs? What do you do? And she gave us this look like, yeah, we do. But I would rather stab you in the face than sing happy birthday to you. But but it was part of the job. And so she kind of reluctantly agreed. And and it was just so painful watching her try to coerce the other servers who were even less interested than she was because they weren't going to be getting a tip out of this. And you could just see her arguing with them like, no, I did this for your table earlier. You're going to do this. We got to do this. A few minutes later, three or four of them kind of stumble out and, and mumble through this happy birthday song and just sort of kind of going through the motions. But around the table while this is happening, the family is just cheering and smiling and laughing. And we're singing at the top of our lungs as tone deaf as we are. And the contrast was just really something to see here around the table. You've got family, people that are there because they, they love the one they're singing to and are just enjoying just sharing this moment with it. And then right behind us, you've got these folks that they don't know the guy they're singing to. They don't really care about the guy they're singing to. And they're just kind of going through the motions because they think in doing so they might get something from him. And I think that that picture vividly describes two of the most common ways that people approach God. The right way and and a wrong way. You see, God wants us around the table. He wants us approaching him as sons and his daughters and sharing time with them. And when, and when we're singing to him, it's just to, in, it's just to praise him and enjoy that time with him. It's, it's not to get something from him because we already have everything. We're already part of the family. But I think sometimes we're tempted to approach God like these servers who don't really know God, don't really love God, but we go through the motions half-heartedly thinking that in doing so and doing our duty that we could get something from God. And we miss the whole point when we approach it that way. We're in this series called Stressed Out, and we've been talking about anxiety and stress and worry and all these things that the world just sort of piles on our shoulders and how God calls us to a plan of peace, a life of such peace and joy and how so often we miss the point. And I think part of the reason why we miss the point, this is what we're talking about today, is because we're approaching God in the wrong way. And so while it, it, it might seem out of place to talk about religious stress in a series called Stressed Out, I think that it's such an important thing to discuss. And here, here's why, if you're following along in your notes, a misguided view of God will ultimately create a misguided view of everything else. So let me ask you, what do you think about when you think about God? What do you picture? What do you see? The answer to that question reveals a a lot, a lot that that has huge impact on so many other aspects of life. The way we see God, the way we approach God, which is really just what what religion is, you know, our man's approach to try to try to get to God. Here are a few pictures of, of God in our culture, and I would argue that all of them are wrong. You know, the, the, the first one we get from the Renaissance, from Michelangelo. We get 
God who was usually surrounded by some like chubby naked angel babies for some reason. I'm not sure why. Uh, he's, he's got this long flowing beard and he's up in the clouds and it's beautiful art. This is on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Italy. Beautiful art, but we think, is God just a, an old guy with a white beard up in the clouds somewhere? Because that seems so disconnected from my life. But I think that's a lot of times how we see God. He's just this beautiful piece of art or he's this bearded man up in the clouds somewhere strumming on a harp. Probably a nice guy, but not really connected to our life in any way. So how can a God like that give us peace or comfort? Other religions have used a God like this. Here's a, here's a Hindu version of God. There are thousands of gods in Hinduism. Even the most devout Hindu can't name them all. They just keep kind of adding new ones to the list to make sure they don't leave anybody out. And they all are just sort of this conglomeration and mixture of all these different people's ideas. You know, this one got, looks like an elephant head and a bunch of different hands. There's a lot of weird stuff going on right here, right? So I'm not trying to make fun of, of anybody's worldview, but, but it's, it's a picture of God where we just say it's whatever you want it to be. And we live in a world that kind of approaches God that way sometimes. God's whoever you want it to be, whatever you want him to look like. You just make it your own personal God. And while God wants to have a, a personal relationship with us, we've taken this misguided notion that we can have a personal God that we essentially just invent on our own terms. And that's, that's no God at all. That's, that's just a little idol, kind of like this next guy, little Buddha sitting on a, on a desk. Can you bring up? Buddha, even in Buddhism, they never considered Buddha to be an actual God. He was just a person that they considered to be enlightened. But now we, we kind of approach God like this, like he's just this good luck charm. You know, somebody you, you, you put on your desk, you tap on the head and he brings you good luck. We don't really want God to interfere with our life in any way. We just want to be happy. And if there is a God out there, we don't want to offend him. And we want to do whatever we can to, to get whatever blessing he might be able to give us. But we don't really want a God that's going to interfere. We want something we can just sort of keep on a desk like that. Or maybe, you know, you prefer, and this is definitely a much better version than that, Bruce Almighty version of God. Now, I do hope God's voice does sound like Morgan Freeman because that is, that is the narration of, of, uh, of the, I mean, that's just, Morgan, you got a great voice. But in this movie, which I haven't seen in years, Essentially, the, the plot line is, is God, played by Morgan Freeman, hanging out with Bruce, played by Jim Carrey. And God sort of gives Jim the responsibility of being God, and then he disappears for most of the story. And he's like, okay, you, you be God. And I think sometimes our view of God is something similar to this. That God's probably a nice guy. He might even sound like Morgan Freeman. But ultimately, he's going he's gonna to leave, and I'm going to have to be God in my own life. I'm going to have to be my own protector, my own provider my own savior, and God's not going to really be around. I'm not sure where he is going to be when I need him. A lot of us approach God that way. I've got to be God. I've got to take care of my family. I, got to, I mean, and we need to be responsible, obviously, and take care of our responsibilities, but we carry the weight of being God in our own life. Or maybe we just kind of, in an attempt not to offend anybody, we get to this, this newest, trendiest version of how people describe God, which is just, the universe. Here people say this, man, the universe just wants good things for you. I was on a plane this week and a lady sitting next to me and my wife, you know, it's just nice lady, professional, successful. Um, and, but, but she kind of kept talking in this language. We would talk about something. She's like, oh man, the, the universe is just opening up opportunities for you guys. The universe just wanted you to have that. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? The universe didn't want anything for me. The universe is just, it's just a thing God created. 
there's always been this temptation, all the way back to pagan cultures from thousands of years ago, to worship that which has been created instead of the Creator. Thousands of years ago, it was people dancing around worshiping the sun and the moon. Now we're way too sophisticated for that, so we just worship all the suns and moons together and call it the universe. The universe wants good things for you. No, it doesn't. The universe doesn't want anything. But God, the creator of the universe, he wants great things for you. He wants you to know him personally. He wants to invite you to his table. The creator of the universe calls you a son or calls you a daughter. And yet we settle for something so much less in our attempt to not offend anyone, in our attempt to just be all-inclusive. We pretend like the creator of that doesn't exist at all. And yet... Even when you look at the universe, NASA recently discovered a galaxy that they believe to be 9 billion light years away. To put that in perspective, the speed of light's over 100,000 uh, miles per second. So you're traveling that fast for 9 billion years to get to what they can see now. And they don't even know what's on the other side of that. So we can't even fathom all God has made. And yet, all, for all that he's made... He's never far off from us. He wants to know us in a personal way. He calls you friend. His depth and his reach and all that he's made is nothing compared to the personal love that he has for each one of you. As I don't think that God is, is so big that you can't know him personally. We, we can, and God wants us to know him personally. So, how do we cut through all of the noise and get to the heart of who God really is? And how do we let go of our stress and replace it with peace in that process? I think it's first knowing God wants you to have peace. The Bible says this, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. You see, God doesn't want it to be a mystery who he is. He doesn't want you to go through life not knowing who he is and what he's about and what his priorities are. He tells us plainly through this love letter to us called the Bible. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know the good things that he has in store for you. And yet, throughout time, we've tried to overcomplicate it. People in the name of religion have created all this religious stress that has blocked and muddied the path to God. And all the while, Jesus is saying, you guys are making this way too hard. You're missing the entire point. And so bear with me for just a few minutes. I want to kind of give you a, a history lesson of the religious scene when Jesus was, was here on earth in the flesh. Because people were making the same religious mistakes then as they are now. We just call them different names and we go by different labels but it's the same basic misguided attempts to get to God in his favor. Starting with the Pharisees. These were kind of the, the religious elite, the ones in charge in Jesus' day as it relates to religion. They're, they're the ones who made all the rules. And to them, if you're following along, you want to know what they were about. Religious, Pharisees taught that religion is essentially about rules and regulations. You could tell how good of a person you are, how close you were to God, by how you kept the rules. And I bet you know a lot of religious people like this as well. They're always just, they're all about the rules. And a lot of the rules aren't even in the Bible. You know, you ever, ever, ever been with somebody like that? You know, you're driving around, it's, it's a Sunday morning, they see somebody out riding their bike and they've got a rule that says, oh, you, you can't do anything on Sunday morning but be in church. So they're like, oh, somebody's riding their bike on a Sunday. Might as well ride that bike straight to the gates of hell, you sinner. I don't think you're taking it to church. I don't know, everybody goes into the church lady voice when they get judgmental, but... There's this need to control, I think, that some of us have. And, and rules and regulations give us this illusion of control. It kind of puts God in a box, like he's a genie that has to do what we want if we just follow the rules. And that's essentially what the Pharisees thought. So Jesus was always messing with the Pharisees. I mean, you can just see Jesus' sense of humor 
And, and you gather his disciples around. It's almost like, hey, watch this, guys. I'm, I'm going to heal this dude in front of these Pharisees. And it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do any work. It's going to blow their mind. Watch this. And so Jesus would be like, you know, hey, you, the, you know, blind guy, you know, you're, you're, you're healed. Hey, you, the, the guy that's crippled, you, you can walk now. And then the, the, the Pharisees would freak out. You healed that guy on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, seriously, he can see now. And what you notice is that it's, it's on the Sabbath. I just, I just healed the guy, which is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? If you had an animal that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not help it out? And yet I'm healing a person, a child of God. And instead of seeing the miracle, instead of seeing the new life that they found, all you can see is that it doesn't fit into your rigid religious system of rules and regulations. You miss the whole point. You've reduced the God of the universe, a God of love, a personal father who made you in his own image and wants to know you. You've reduced him to just this rule, rule enforcer. And so Jesus says this about them. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And we're tempted to do some of the same things today, make up our own rules and then judge ourselves and everyone else by them and miss out, miss out on the real point. Another group was called the Sadducees. They were right there with the Pharisees. Um, one of the big differences in them, though, even though they were just as much about the rules, they didn't believe in some of the supernatural aspects of God. And the reason why is because they didn't want to seem fanatical. They didn't want to make people think they were religious weirdos. And so they followed the rules. But really, it was for this purpose. Sadducees thought that religion is about restraint and respect. By restraint, I mean they believed that a good person, a religious person, would follow the rules and that would restrain them from doing bad stuff. And then you would gain respect from other people. And that's really what life is about. So they used religion to help them in their careers. Because if they're seen as good rule-following religious people, they could run for office and they could own businesses. And many Sadducees did and were successful people. But they missed the point. Because they too were just kind of all about the rules and were looking Jesus in the face, God in the face, and completely missed the point of the love that he was teaching. So Jesus said this about them. Don't follow their example. They don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. If our religious exercise is for show, trying to impress other people or even trying to impress God, then we're no different than the servers kind of with a cold-hearted clap going through our duty, singing happy birthday to somebody we don't know or love and missing the point that we were invited to the table all along. A few more groups. One is called the Essenes. Essenes are the guys who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found about 60 years ago. Uh, some of the oldest known uh, texts, surviving texts uh, from the Old Testament. But these guys, they never in the Bible had an interaction with Jesus. And the reason why is because they lived out in the desert by themselves. They taught that religion is about retreat and reclusiveness. They believed that religion meant that you should leave all the bad people and go and live with people who were just like you and nobody else. To retreat, get away from anybody who doesn't think like you. Get away from anybody who doesn't look like you. That's what they thought. And I think Jesus would teach them that they missed the whole point that life is about loving God and loving your neighbor. And your neighbor, Jesus told us over and over again, isn't those people who just look like you and think like you and live next door to you. But it's everybody that God brings into your path. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God. With all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The second 
commandment is like it. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love people. There's no commandment greater than these. That's the most important thing in life. Love God. Love your neighbor. And you can't love God if you're not willing to love your neighbor. See, they thought, just love God, but get away from your neighbor. Because their neighbors are messy and they're dirty and their lives are full of drama. And Jesus is like, I know, that's why I came. Because you're messy and dirty and lives are full of drama. You just have this outer religious veneer to make it look like you've got it figured out. But as Jesus you know, said about some groups, that it's like, it's like you're a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, everything looks good, but you've got dead men's bones inside. And it's the inside that really counts. So let me give you real life. Stop just trying to look impressive. Stop trying to get away from everybody's mess and enter into their mess with love because that's what grace does. That's what love does. And that's what Jesus came to do. Then you had the Romans and the Greeks. They were the most powerful people in the day and they were very religious, but they taught that religion is about rituals. It's just about going through the motion, making sacrifices to the right God, following the right festival, celebrating the right things. And then maybe the gods, as many as they are, would have favor on you, but they're not really a part of your real life. It was more of just kind of a philosophy. It was more of, of, of just something to talk about, a way to be intellectual. When Paul entered, entered, entered into the scene in Athens and he was trying to preach to these guys about Jesus, he saw all of this kind of religious facade they'd built up. And here's what it says about them in the book of Acts. It starts out by saying, It should be explained that the Athenians, that's the Greeks, as well as all the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. They wanted to be trendy. They wanted to be up to date. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. He said, Men of Athens, I notice you're very religious. In every way. For as I was walking, I saw all of your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Paul went on to explain that in their pluralistic culture where they didn't want to offend any God who might be out there. They had a a temple, a shrine to every God they can think of. But just in case they'd forgotten one, they'd made this one to an unknown God, whoever he might be. And Paul so brilliantly uses their own religion to build a bridge to tell them who Jesus really is. He said, all these other shrines, all these other gods, they're not real. They're man-made. They're created from our own ideas of what we think God could be or should be. But there is one God. He's the God that spoke the world, the universe into existence. He's the God who loves you and knew you and formed you in your mother's womb and had a plan for you even from before you took your first breath. And this God came to earth when he sent his son, Jesus. It was God wrapped in flesh to show us who God is and what he is, what he's like and to invite us into a relationship with him. And then Jesus gave his life in our place on the cross, paying a price for our sin so that we could be made right with God forever. He paid a penalty we can never pay for ourselves and you can't earn it. You can only receive this free gift by putting your faith in him, trusting him and then living your life for him. It's a, it, he offers it freely and he's inviting you into the family. He's inviting you to the table. You don't have to just go through the motions, go through the rituals, cold-hearted, sing the song from outside the table. He's invited you to join him and to be with him forever. That's what you're made for. And you'll never find true peace until you find that peace in him. And yet, thousands of years later, I think so many of us are making some of these same mistakes. We're, re- we're reducing Our approach to God is just following certain rules, jumping through certain hoops, keeping certain rituals, trying to be a respectable person who's restrained and not 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 acting crazy. So other people think that we're a good person. When we're not 
we're not coming to Christ as part of the family, just as we are, with no facades, not trying to earn anything because he's already done it all, just receiving that gift that he gives freely, receiving it as our, as our identity as a son or a daughter, and living our lives in response to that amazing gift, that amazing grace, so that we're free to love him and love each other without all of this religious baggage. So what did Jesus actually teach? Well, this is, that's what Jesus taught. He taught a lot of things, a lot more than I can cover in the little time that we have. But here are a few of those kind of major themes as he's trying to redirect our thoughts to what religion really is. He said, if you want to write religion, it's, it's about rebirth and restored relationships. Rebirth means turning your life over to him completely and finding a new identity in him. And then living for restored relationships. First with God. God wants to, you to have a restored relationship with him, which our sin cut off. But grace made a bridge so that it could be rebuilt. And then he wants us to restore relationships with each other. Life is about loving God, loving people. Your relationships are the only part of this life you can take to heaven. It starts with that rebirth. Jesus taught this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent means to change your mind, to change your direction, to be going one way on a broad road that leads to destruction and turning to the path that leads to life, which is the path of Jesus saying, Lord, I want to do things your way. I'm going to stop doing things my way and just asking you to bless it. And I want to do things your way. It means being born again. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He he wants us to experience this rebirth spiritually. This is here's a passage that describes the rebirth and and the restored or reconciled relationships all at once. It says this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That's the rebirth part. The old life is gone. All the the shame and the baggage and our wrong thinking and all of it is gone. A new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Reconciling means God has restored his relationship with us. And now he's calling us to restore other people's relationship with each other, with us, and with God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation or or restoration. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. We've made it about so many other things. We've made it about our own definition and ideas of religion, our own pursuits of empty success. And all the while, he's just saying, come back to God. When we try to invent our own way to get to God, our own way to get to peace, our own way to get to happiness, it, it never really ends well. You know, one of those pictures I just showed you was, was Morgan Freeman and Jim Carrey from that you know, movie, Bruce Almighty. And Jim Carrey, I, I read a, an interview he did recently, and it was one of the saddest things I'd ever read. This guy who's so successful and, and so funny and so talented and so wealthy. And he said in this interview... He said, I wish that everyone could become rich and famous and get everything they ever thought they wanted just so they could see it's not the answer. Because I have everything I ever thought I wanted. And I am incredibly, miserably unhappy. You see, when when life is just about achieving certain things, 
And we believe the myth that if I just had this, then I would be happy. If I just had this much money, then I'd be happy. If I lived in this house, if I drove this car, if I went to this school, if I married that person, whatever that is, then I'd be happy. But if it's apart from Christ, it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to bring you real joy. God gives you something better than happiness. It's called joy. And it's, it's eternal. It's not based on what's happening. It's not based on what's temporary. It's rooted in what's eternal. And God wants you to have that. It's a joy. It's a peace that no matter what you're facing in life, even if you're facing tragedy, real problems, you know, cancer, bankruptcy, divorce, things that people in this room and watching online are facing, that there is this joy and this peace that cannot be taken from you, even in the midst of those tears and that struggle, because you know that God is with you. And he's bigger than what you're facing. And he cares about you. And he's seated at the table with you. And he's going to carry you through it. And even when this life ends, you're invited into a kingdom that never ends. Where there is no more divorce and cancer and pain and all the things that you're facing. And the celebration, the celebration will last forever. And our pain is temporary. And our joy is eternal. And once we know who we are in Christ, we can hold on to these things. But we have to first see God for who he is and stop trying to approach him on our terms. So... Remember this, Jesus didn't come to make bad people become religious. Jesus came to make dead people become alive. He didn't come to just say, okay, here's a big list of rules you got to follow now. He came to say, you guys are way too focused on these rules when really I want you to have a new heart. It's like you're dead in your sin. You're not even living a real life. You're not living a whole life. You're just going through the motions. And I came to give you so much more than that. I came so you could experience real life. It's what he said in John chapter 10. He said, I've come that they might have life and life to the full. He wants you to have life and not settle for anything else. You see, this idea of of peace, this is what we're talking about, really. Like, how do we have peace? It's rooted in the Prince of Peace. In, In English, the word peace just means the absence of conflict. That's kind of how we use it. It's a time of peace. It means we're not at war. But in Jesus' culture, peace, shalom, which is still how they greet each other in Israel, if you go, which, which I love their greeting, you know, shalom. Peace isn't just the absence of something. It's the presence of something. It's not just the absence of conflict because they can, wish, they can say shalom even in the presence of conflict. Shalom is the presence of a God who is greater than the conflict you're facing. Shalom is wholeness in the midst of the brokenness of the world. Shalom is reminding yourself that that God is with you. Even when the world around you might be chaotic. That he's bigger than the circumstances. And that his plan is bigger than what we see in front of us. And we can have this peace. If we find this peace in Christ. I had the opportunity to, to go to Ireland Last year, it, which is probably the, the, the best trip I've ever had. It's a beautiful country. The people are great. Food's great. If you ever get a chance to go, go. But I'm a history buff. I love learning about the cultures, places, wherever I get a chance to go. And, and so we're, we're doing the tours and all the touristy things and trying to learn about the history. And, and, and one of the guys that, that kept coming up in these tours was a, a writer who I was familiar with but didn't know much about. And his name was Oscar Wilde. And Oscar Wilde is considered maybe the greatest writer to ever come out of Ireland. But... People would almost all agree that he never really lived up to his full potential. They say he was as talented as Shakespeare, maybe more so. 
But he would get so caught up in, in trying to prove himself in other ways or get caught up in these pursuits of pleasure and this kind of reckless playboy lifestyle that, that he just never really did all that he could do. Even for all the great things he did, it, it, it wasn't all he could have done. And he recognized this as well. One time he was interviewed and they said, Mr. Wilde, who would you be if you could be anyone in all of human history? And without hesitation, he said, I would be the man I could have been had I reached my full potential. Well, Oscar Wilde's reckless and, and wild lifestyle, he lived up to his name. It, it landed him in a, in a deathbed early, far before his, his time. And as a young man, they're dying. The only person there in the room with him there towards the end was this friend of his named Robbie, who had kind of shared in, in that reckless, hedonistic, pleasure-seeking lifestyle. And as Oscar Wilde's laying in that bed and he's reflecting on his life, all the things that he had done all the things that he had not done. He didn't want to talk about his accomplishments. He didn't want to talk about how he could have written more books or he could have had more fame or any of that. He started thinking about things that really matter because he recognized that all those pursuits he thought would bring him contentment had been pretty empty. And he started talking about things that really matter. And he asked his friend Robbie, he said, Robbie, all those people you ever said you loved, you know, all those people that you ever slept with, have you ever loved anyone purely for their own sake? And Robbie thought about it and he said, well, no, I guess not. I guess I always wanted something in return. And Oscar, thinking about his own life, said, yeah, me too. I always wanted something in return. I never really loved anybody. I, I just used them. And he started thinking back to, in his life, and his culture, how religion for him had just been about the rituals, about going through the motions, about saying the right things, doing the right things. And he found such emptiness in that that he took another path. But then he started to think about these promises of Jesus, these words of Jesus that he had learned as a young boy, about love, about a God who pursued him and loved him for his own sake. When there was nothing in him that he could do to earn it or deserve it. And that God loved him not because he was a, a famous writer. God loved him because he was his child. And as he thought about that love and realized that nothing in his life, nothing in his accomplishments could hold any measure to the identity that he could have as part of God's family. This man who'd lived by the world's standards all the way up really till his deathbed and found such emptiness in it told his friend Robbie, he said, go find me a minister. Only Christ can cleanse this heart of mine. I don't want you to have to wait until you're on a deathbed someday to experience that truth. Only Christ can cleanse this heart of mine. It doesn't matter how I look on the outside. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to me. It doesn't matter what I'm pursuing. None of these things are where I'm going to find my identity. I want to become that new creation that only Christ can make possible. I want to join him at the table as part of the family. I want to stop trying to earn it. I want to stop going through the motions thinking maybe God will bless me. Whoever God is, guy in the cloud with the white beard, a statue on a desk. No, God is real and he is, he is the embodiment of love and he wants to know you personally. And that relationship can begin today. So if you want peace, if you want shalom, if you want to know 
what it means to live in a chaotic world and still still not be overwhelmed by it. Remember this, the only path to true peace is found in Christ. There are other things you can do to temporarily alleviate stress. Yeah, you can exercise, you can eat better, all those things. And yeah, that's important, but it's not where real lasting peace is going to be found. That can only be found in Christ. I shared this passage with you last week, but I want to close with it again today because I think the way the message translation paraphrases these powerful words of Jesus is such a beautiful reminder to us all. Just, I want you to let these words of Jesus just rest in your soul today, your weary, stressed out soul. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Doesn't that sound like the opposite of all of our religious striving and trying to prove ourselves to God and trying to prove ourselves to each other? And Jesus is just saying, just come to me. Come to me. Let me give you rest. Let me give you peace. Let me give you life. You can't find it any other place. So just come to me just as you are. It's where you were meant to be all along, right here at the table. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for those in this room that are carrying a real stress today. And God sees that and he cares about it even more than you do. That health struggle, that financial crisis, that, that, that family dynamic that is just keeping you up at night. That the Prince of Peace wants to give you peace even in the midst of it. He might not instantly change your situation, but he can instantly change your perspective about how you approach that situation once you realize that he's with you and he's going to carry you through it. And I'm also going to pray for those here today and those watching online that might not yet know Jesus in a real way. You've got those misguided pictures of God in your mind that we talked about. You've, you've tried to get to him through your effort or your struggle when all the while you just, you just need to receive that gift that he's been waiting to give you all along. And that can begin today through a simple prayer of faith. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience with us, for your grace with us, even though we've misrepresented you even though we've redefined the path that you so simply laid out to get to you, God, when you've done all the work. And so, Lord, today, we just want to come back to you. We want to receive that peace that only you can give. Forgive us that we've looked for it in so many other places. For those struggling today with big issues, real hard-hitting issues, give them that peace of knowing you're with them and you're going to carry them through. For those here today that don't yet know you in a personal way, let today be the day that they reach out in faith and say, Jesus, Save me today. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. I want that new life, that rebirth that only you can bring. Make me into a new person. Create me in me a new heart. Make me who I was meant to be. And help me to spend my life living with you and for you in the peace and the joy that you bring. And for all of us, God, let us leave here today feeling lighter, knowing that you're the one carrying our burdens. And for that, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.